Good morning, Ben. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, we've been away as a family for almost three weeks, vacationing. And I want to thank you. Some of you have uh, mentioned that you have been in prayer for us as we were going, asking that the Lord would give us a good vacation this time. And if you've been around in a while, you know that in these last few COVID years, the Hildebrand family has had some pretty traumatic experiences with trips and some real disappointments. And uh, it was great just to have a trip that went according to plan. And God gave us good weather, and He gave us good health, and He gave us great times together as a family. It was awesome. Um, Erica's whole family hadn't been together for almost two years, well, for a whole two years. And so it was great to all be together again for the first time in two years. And uh, we went from there, from Erica's family in Fargo to Iowa, to the Field of Dreams, which apparently is just a patch of grass surrounded by corn. And it took me about a 10-hour drive just to figure that out. But uh, we had a, I, I kind of checked that off my bucket list, saw the Field of Dreams, threw a baseball with my kid at the Field of Dreams. It was actually awesome. Uh, and then we, we looped through Wisconsin, spent a few days at the Wisconsin Dells, and that was great. And some of you have been there. And if you haven't been there and you've got some kids, go to the Wisconsin Dells. That place is fun. And that it, it is a tourist town par excellence. You know what I'm talking about if you've been there. It's just like full of kitschy little tourist trap attractions uh, that people just spend money on and then regret it afterwards. Right, so we were, we were right in Wisconsin Dells, and there's this big sign for an attraction called Experience the 80s. And we had to do it because Erica and I are children of the 80s. Okay, we grew up, our, that, that, was, you know, that was when we had our childhood in the 80s, born in the early 80s, and we've kept telling our kids about the 80s. Those were the good old days, right? And so we were going to go relive the 80s, so we went into this attraction and, uh, and found out it cost $20, and I'm just way too Mennonite to pay like $20 to, to relive the 80s, and so we didn't do it, but there, there was like a whole gift shop there that had all the products of the 80s, and it was awesome. It was just full of fanny packs, and everything was like neon colors, and Walkmans. Do you remember Walkmans? That great innovation. You could actually walk around and have your music with you. This is incredible. And so anyway, that, that was kind of fun to uh, get, a, get a taste again of some of the 80s because, again, like I've reached that point in life, and I think this is a sign that you've, you're becoming old when you start talking about the good old days. And, and now that I'm in my 40s, I find myself doing this, and I think that's a sign of age. I talk about the good old days, and my songs now are on the oldies stations. So anytime we travel now, now we're looking for the oldies station to get our songs from the 80s and the 90s. And, um, but even then, I don't know about you, but, but we have a propensity to, think, to always think that there was some time period before us that was better. And so I, I've often thought, man, I wish I could have been in the 50s. The 50s seems like that would have been a great time to live. And some of you, like, the 50s is boring. You would want to be in the 60s, right? But I was more like, I would have loved the 50s. Those, in my mind, they seem like they would have been the good old days. And uh, maybe you do that sort of thing. And I think we can also do that spiritually. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I read the Bible and some of the experiences that I read and what happened there, what God did, and I think, man, if only I could have lived in Bible times, I'm sure that like, I would have known God so much better. Right? It would have been so much easier to know and to follow God because we had all these experiences of Him that they had back then. Like, those were the good old spiritual days. Right? If we could have just lived in Bible times... I don't know if you ever kind of think that way as you read the Bible, but I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that they knew God better. I mean, if you go back to the story of Abraham, I mean, here was a guy that didn't know God at all, worshiper of idols. God, this voice came to him, the voice of the one true God, and said, Abraham, I am the Lord. I want you to leave this place and go to the place I'm going to show you. And he didn't know this God at all. And and little by little, he started to have experiences of God that gave him a deeper understanding of who God was. And if you hear last week, Uh, Daniel, I think, did a message on that story, right, where God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your only son, Isaac, and bring him up onto the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. And you read that, and you go, what? God doesn't do that sort of thing. And yet, Abraham didn't know that. 
Of course God does that sort of thing. All the gods they knew asked you to like offer your children to them so that you could get some favor from God. That wasn't strange. That's what God's did. And so he went up on the mountain and just, you know, when he's about to like do the deed, God stops him. And in this dramatic fashion, provides that ram in the place of his son so that Abraham has a, has a better understanding of who the true God is. God is Jehovah Jireh. The one true God is the God who provides for you. You don't need to provide for him. And it was this aha moment for Abraham. God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides And we see these throughout the Scriptures. It's like this one long progressive revelation of God, of who He is, showing us little by little, more and more, the type of God that He is, until we see that in the fullness, in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, who gives us that full revelation of who God is. And this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. When he says, no one, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, referring to himself and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turns to the disciples, and he said to them, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it, and they wanted to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. All those heroes of the faith that come before, they yearned to have the experience of God that you can have and to know God the way you know God. And so, no, I don't think it's true that they knew God better. I think we, as Jesus says, we are so blessed that we can know God the way we do. And that's what we're doing in this series for our summer is we're getting to know God by looking at the names that he gives to himself, and that others give to him. Each one of these names that through the Scriptures God progressively reveals these names and titles, they reveal his nature and they reveal his character so that we can get to know him better. And so the names of God are so important in the Scripture. And so you have verses like this from Proverbs chapter 10, uh, or chapter 18, verse 10, where it says, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, a strong tower. The righteous run to it and, and are safe. And we don't talk that way these days, right? The name of the Lord is strong. We say the Lord is strong. But back then, you, you hear this emphasis on the name, the name of the Lord, right? When we're to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so the, the names of God are so important because when God gives us these names, He's giving us insight and revelation into the type of God He is, and that's what we need to know in order to be safe, is we need to know the God who really is as He is. There is no more fundamental question in all of life than who is God. That's it. That is the most fundamental question. Who is God? And we discover more and more the fullness of who God is. The answer to that question when we we explore these names that God has given Himself which we're doing one by one here through the summer. And something I found interesting as, as I've been studying the names is that um, you find the biggest concentration of God's names in the book from which we just read in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is littered with these names that God reveals of, of Himself. And I've kind of, why that is? Why so much in Exodus? And, and I think it's because Exodus is a book that's all about the wandering of God's people in the wilderness. It's, all, it's a book about hardships and trials and testings. And throughout the book of Exodus, you just see one hardship after another, which probably took them a little bit by surprise because you know, God had delivered His people out of Egypt in a miraculous way, and they'd come to the Red Sea, and He did this great miracle. He parted the Red Sea, and they went through on dry land, and, and, and then the enemy was destroyed. And, and you wonder if they came to that other side of the Red Sea, they thought, this is awesome. This is going to be easy. Tomorrow we're going to be in the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And that's not exactly what happens because we're told as soon as they come through the Red Sea, they went into the desert. And in the desert, they face trials, many trials and hardships. And I think it's true that the only way to get from Egypt to the promised land is through the desert. 
The only way to get from slavery, right, to the land of milk and honey, to the abundant life is through the desert. It's through the times and the seasons of trial, of testing, because it's in those times that God reveals more of who He is. Because you get to know God better when you need God more. And so maybe this morning you're in a, you're, you feel like you're in the wilderness in some way. You're in a period of life, a season of, of trial, of hardship. And just know that you can't get from slavery to the promised land except through the desert, through the wilderness, because that is where you get to know God. That's where He shows you the sort of God He is. So don't be discouraged if you find yourself in the wilderness facing hard things. Look to God. Seek God there. So here in Exodus 15, they find themselves on the other side of the Red Sea, but they've got this problem, right? And, and they, they, we have this story which concludes with God giving Himself another name. He calls Himself Jehovah Rapha. So if you're one of those kids with a little booklet and you have the page where you have to write the name of God, this is what you write, Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. Now, maybe over these last few weeks, you've come to understand that the word Jehovah, like that's the translation of Lord. And so anytime you see in your Old Testament, the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all capitalized, that's a translation of the word Yahweh, which was the Hebrew word, and the Latinization is Jehovah. So Jehovah and Yahweh are the same word, like one's Hebrew, one's Latin, but they both translate Lord, whenever you see Lord, and it's kind of unfortunate that in the Bible we, we have this, this name of God as a title because it's not a title. Whenever you see Lord, it's actually the name of God. It's a personal name, just like I'm Rusty. It's not pastor, it's Rusty. And so Lord there isn't Lord, it's not master, it's Yahweh. It's a personal name, and I love this about God, and what I want us to see over and over again is that God is a personal God. When you give someone your name, what are you doing? Right? You are sharing yourself. When you, when you give your name, it is an invitation into intimacy. And God is someone who gives His personal name to us. I am Yahweh. It is an invitation into intimacy. It's an indication that God is a personal God that wants to be known, that wants to have real relationship with us. He is Jehovah Rapha. Now, Rapha just means to heal or to bring health. And so God says, I am healer. That is my name. I am healer. How is God healer? We're going to see in this story here that God is healer in a couple of different ways. We see two ways in the story. And the first way is obvious. And the second way, it's kind of subtle, but I would say it's much more important even. And so in this story, we have the people of Israel, a large group of people, traveling through the desert. We're told three days. Now, I've never traveled through the desert, but can you imagine this, this mass of people, three days walking, tired, sweaty, no water for three days. I don't know how long a person can live without water, but it's not much longer than that. And, and so these people, thirsty is not really the right word, is it? Like they are sick. They are dehydrated. If they don't get water soon, they're going to die. And so here we have the people of Israel. They haven't drank in three days. They're dying of thirst. They see the water glistening on the horizon, and they think, we've been saved. And so they go up to this place, and the first person dips their hand in there to bring the water to their mouth. And that's when they find this is not good water to drink. This water is bitter. This water is sick. And if you drink it, it's going to make you sick. And so what does God do? God, when Moses cries out to God for help, God heals the water, right? He says, take that piece of wood and throw it into the water. Why? Well, I think we're going to understand what's happening in a few minutes. Take that piece of wood, throw it in the water, and Moses does, and when that wood hits the water, the water, God miraculously changes the water so that it's no longer bitter. It's good water. It's fit to drink. He heals the water, and in healing the water, He heals them, right? He heals their sickness. And so, the obvious thing we see in the story that for God to be healer means He's saying, I am the healer of your bodies. 
God is the healer of our bodies. And we see this throughout the Bible, that God in Old Testament and New Testament, in the life of Jesus, who, you know, makes a layman to walk, and he makes a blind man to see, and he raises the sick, and even the dead. And then his followers, the disciples, they heal people too of disease. So we see this with the Scriptures, that God has the power to heal our bodies, and He exercises that power to heal. So what God is saying is, I am sovereign over your health, the health of your body. This, this week, I was in the office here. My aunt texted me saying, hey, we're in Stonewall to pick some Saskatoon berries in Quarry Park. Your grandma's here if you want to bring grandma a coffee. She likes decaf. So what are you going to do? Say no? Not bringing grandma a coffee? Of course you're going to bring grandma a coffee. She's 93 years old. She's blind, right? So she's sitting in the shade in a lawn chair in, in Quarry Park. So I go bring my grandma coffee. She's, ni- she's 93. She's an incredible woman. And she's, I mean, she's legally blind now, but she's in great health. And I was saying, I'm like, grandma, you're 93. Like, your mind is so sharp. Your body is so healthy. Like, you are so blessed. And she's like, she's like yeah, I, I do feel so blessed. And she's like, that's all Jesus. That's all Jesus. You know, like, he is my health. And I give him all the glory for that. And then she said, have you heard my song? And I said, no. So, and then she started, she sang me this song about this. And, I th- and of course, I knew I was preaching on this. So I said, Grandma, could you sing it again? I took my phone and recorded the song. Also, because I want to keep it. I don't, Grandma's not going to be here forever, and I want to have a record of the song. So, so it, it's actually a, a verse of us, the last song we just sang, but she puts her own words to it. So, so this is Grandma singing this one verse. Okay, go ahead. Here. I will not boast in anything, no vitamins, no exercise, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, who is my great physician. He gives my frame the strength to go, and soar on wings like eagles. Therefore, I boast in nothing else. My health is only Jesus. Kind of a nice voice, eh? Yeah. And, and that was just a way of her kind of acknowledging that um, she, she's not saying don't take vitamins and don't exercise, all right? That's not the message. The message isn't just drink Pepsi and eat Cheetos and sit on the couch and God will take care of the rest. Like, it's, that, it's that, listen, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're, we're supposed to take care of ourselves, but at the end of the day, it's God who is sovereign over our body. God is sovereign over our health. And so, because of that, you know, she would say prayer is primary. It's not solitary, but prayer is primary because it is God ultimately who gives us health, and He can do that in a variety of ways. He can use vitamins and exercise, and He can use a miraculous touch of His hand. And, you know, every few months, I get a call from a man in this church, and, I, and the number comes up on my phone, and I know what he's, he's and I kind of hold my breath because I know he's going to give me the latest update about his brain scan, right? And he gets on the phone, and he says, Pastor, I'm just calling to tell you they didn't find anything. And I'm like, well, your wife already knew there was nothing up there, like, we always, every time we just kind of joke about that. It's kind of funny. What he's saying is they found there's, there's still no tumors. And then he'll kind of recount about that time when he came to the church and he had, had a few pastors and elders, you know, in, in direction from the scriptures to lay hands on him, to pray over him. And he had terminal brain cancer. And when he went the next time to the appointment, there was no tumor. Like it had vanished. There was no explanation. The doctors were confounded. This is not possible. And every three months, he goes back for another scan, and he calls me to let me know there's still no cancer. Praise God. Okay? So God has the power to heal, and God did, and I believe He still does, exercise that power. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who heals. And maybe when you hear that, there's a few things that are kind of stirring in you. Like there's a bit of hope. Oh, that's good news. But then there's also like a little bit of disappointment or discouragement because maybe you're in a position where you would like and you would ask and you would beg God for healing of some sickness or disease in your life or the life of someone around you, and that hasn't come, or maybe even 
hands have been laid on you, and that healing hasn't happened. And so you have, when you hear that the Lord is Jehovah Rapha, there's hope, but it's mixed with disappointment, or maybe even fear that that's an indication that I, I don't have enough faith. I'm not a good enough Christian. I, I, God, God, you know, He has something against me. Because there's many of us who struggle with bad health and we have loved ones who do. And we wonder, like, is, is, is this sickness, is, is this disease, is this a lack of faith? And, you know, there were some that may proclaim a gospel that would say so, right? What we might call the health and wealth gospel, like God always wants to heal. And if you just pray enough and you have enough faith, it happens. And, we you know, that, that is not the gospel. That is a false gospel, right? And we know that. How do I know that? Have you ever met a 120-year-old? I haven't. You ever met a 150-year-old? Everybody dies. And everybody dies from something. And yet God is Jehovah Jireh. He has the power to heal and He exercises that power in the health of our bodies. In, um, well, I, I just want to say, I, I guess there's, there's three reasons in the Bible that we might find that God either allows or brings about sickness or disease. And I think it's important just to kind of go through this here quickly. There are three reasons the Bible gives us that, that God allows or can even bring on sickness. And, and the first is this, that, that the sickness gives God an opportunity to display His glory through healing. Right, so in John chapter 9, they come across Jesus' disciples, this man, he's blind from birth, years and years and decades of blindness, and, and, and the disciples say, look, who sinned? Was this man or did his parents sin that he's born blind? Because in their mind, his sickness was a direct result of sin, somebody's sin. And Jesus says, no, nobody sinned. That's not why the guy is blind. But God has done this so that the, his work might be displayed in him. And then Jesus, who knows how old this guy is, 35, 40, God heals him of this blindness in such a way that so many people are drawn to see the power and the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, that it brings much glory to Him, and that's why God allowed this thing, this hardship, this sickness. And we might look at that and go, well, is that fair? Just using our life as toys, you know, 40 years of blindness just to kind of do something, to make Himself look great? You know, the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? God is more interested in our eternal destiny than in momentary hardship. And He is not above using that to even sickness, to bring about a knowledge of who He is and His saving power. Sometimes God may allow sickness so that he can be glorified and people can see Him and believe in Him through His healing power. The second reason the Bible gives is that, that God can sometimes use sickness to turn somebody from their sin, to turn somebody from a path that would ultimately lead to their destruction and bring deliverance to them or to somebody else. Because the Bible also says, well, it's not true that every sickness is a direct result of sin. It's also true, not true that there can never be a connection between sickness and sin. And there are a number of times over the Scriptures where we see that God brings about something for the purpose in someone's life from some sickness for the purpose of turning them to, from sin to get their attention. And Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 11, there's division in the church, and he says, some of you have become sick and weak because of the way you have been treating one another in the church. God is not above using that if that's what it takes to get your attention to turn you away from destruction or to protect you from a greater harm or to protect others to bring about deliverance. And so in this story in Exodus, we see this, right? Because in the very same breath where, where God says, I am the Lord who heals, I am Jehovah Jireh, He's just said how He has brought disease upon the Egyptians. I brought disease and I'm Jehovah Jireh. 
And so he says in verse 26 to the Israelites, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and you keep all His de- decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And if you know that story, you know what had happened. God wanted to deliver His people out of bondage, and Pharaoh said, no, no way, they're my slaves. I oppress them. I do whatever I want with them. And He would not let them go. And what did God have to do? What, what did He first do? He turned the good water sick. Remember that? turned it into blood so they couldn't drink it. He turned the good water sick and still Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. And, and God had to, had to kind of ramp up the plagues. To bring, why? To bring about deliverance for His people because not God is not above doing that, what it takes, and even to bring on sickness or disease, to turn someone from destruction and to bring about deliverance. And that's another reason that God may allow or bring on sickness. And so at the, at the, near the end of the Bible, you see in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, this is where we get this instruction about laying on hands and praying for the sick. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, con- confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And here we see what we often see in the Bible. There, there, there can be a correlation between our physical well-being and our spiritual well-being. So he's saying, hey, listen, if you're sick and you go to the elders to be prayed over, like, this is a good time to assess, is there any unrepentant sin in your life? Is, is, there, any, is there anything wrong there, anything destructive in your life that you need to turn away from and turn to God? And so anytime we... we we pray for healing. It, it, it's, it's an opportunity like, like David did at the end of Psalm 139. Like, Lord, test me. Search my heart to see if there's any unright way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So God can use sickness to turn someone from sinful uh, destruction and bring about deliverance. Now, that's the second way. And then the third way briefly here is um, unhealed sickness... allows us and allows other people, allows us to see and it allows us to show God's superior worth. And you know, there, there's this incident in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we don't know exactly what's going on in Paul's life, but, but he has this thorn in the flesh, he has this ailment, and he's begging God to take this situation away from him, and it was probably a physical ailment, but we don't know 100% for sure. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, I don't delight in sickness. I don't delight in hardship, but it is an opportunity for me, right? to experience the strength of God, that there is something greater, there is something better in which I find my joy ultimately. So earlier in 2 Corinthians, he, he would say, you know, that our light and, our, our, uh, and, and momentary troubles are building up for us an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not fix your eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, I've come to delight in spite of this ailment. I have come to find a deeper joy in who God is and the benefits of knowing Him and the inheritance that lies ahead of me. And so when we, when we carry some ailment, some sickness, and God may choose not to heal that, He can heal it for glory. You know that guy who was healed in our church? from brain cancer, God has used it for His glory. Because all the time, He has people who hear His miraculous story, they reach out to Him because they have cancer, and He gets to tell them about Jesus. And He's had so many conversations pointing people to Jesus because of that miraculous healing. And we can do the exact same thing when we bear up under something hard, when God doesn't heal, but we can, we can show people that God's worth is superior even to bodily health. 
Our joy is not in our physical comforts. It's in a more important healing, a healing that we have hints of in this story as we go back to Exodus chapter 15 because the water wasn't the only thing that was bitter. Look what it says in verse 24. They came to this water. They found it was bitter. They could not drink it. So in verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? The people grumbled. And what we're supposed to see here is the water is bitter, but these people's hearts are bitter. A grumbling spirit, we don't see them cry out to God. They start turning on one another. They turn on Moses. You led us out of slavery for this. Now we're going to die here for this. And so we see this bitterness in their spirit, a spiritual sickness in this story that I think we have allusions to God's healing of spiritual sickness here because I think the wood and the water here in, in this story is, is an allusion to another, another wood and another water. You know, in, in the New Testament, there's a couple of, of words, Greek words that are translated cross. The main one is the Greek word stauros, cross. It's a stake, a wooden stake. But then there's a few times where, where the writer chooses a different Greek word for the cross. He chooses the word hulon. It doesn't really matter what it is. But it literally means tree, wood. It's the same word here. It's the word that Peter would use in 1 Peter chapter um, 2, verse 24. When he says that he that is Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. That word cross there is literally wood. He died on wood. He died on the tree. And I think what he's, he's trying to make an illusion here, right? That piece of wood that made that water, well, that, that, that healed their bodies, the cross is the wood that takes care of, that heals spiritual sickness, the bitterness of the soul. The cross on which Jesus died in his body brings about our healing, our, our wounds have been healed, and he's not speaking there primarily of our physical wounds. He's speaking about our spiritual wounds, our spiritual sickness. He's speaking about our relationship with God that has been severed because of sin. This spiritual sickness that ultimately leads to spiritual death. Jesus, in the wood on which he died, has brought about Healing, our healing for our souls. Jesus is the great physician. And you see this in Mark chapter 2. That's where that term comes from. Mark 2, verse 17. Uh, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the great physician. I am the one who has come to heal your soul. Because that word Rapha, heal there, it, it, I mean, we, we often think of like a body, like a boo-boo, a, a physical sickness, but it's way bigger than that. That word Rapha means to bring wholeness, to restore something to what it ought to be. Jesus came to restore, to make whole sinners because our sin has brought about a brokenness in our relationship with God. And we see this at the beginning. We see this wood and this water throughout, right? When he, when he made this great world and he put Adam and Eve there and there's this tree in the garden, the tree of life. And mankind turns from God and they sin and they fall into sin, and they receive the judgment of death, and their relationship with God is broken, but it's not just their relationship with God that's broken, right? That brokenness of relationship with God breaks them in all sorts of ways. It breaks our, sin breaks our self-image, the way we look at ourselves. 
And so not only did Adam and Eve have to hide from God, but they were embarrassed about themselves. They took fig leaves and they covered themselves, right? They were ashamed of themselves. Their self-image was no longer whole. Their relationship with one another was no longer whole. It was sick. And now there was strife and conflict in their relationship with one another, human to human. And sin, sin breaks us in all of these ways, breaks our relationship with God, which cascades into like a, a broken self-image and brokenness in relationship with others. We are sick because of sin. But by the wood of the cross, Jesus died to heal our relationship with God. He died to bear our sin, to pay our debt, so that we could be reconciled and restored in relationship with God, the relationship we were created to have. Jesus is the wood, but He's also the water in this story. Right, remember in John chapter 4, he has that encounter with that woman who's been divorced five times and she's given up on the, you know, the whole idea of marriage and she's living with a sick guy. This is a broken woman and Jesus knows it. And he's at the well pulling, she's pulling up water. And Jesus says, hey, I, I'll give you a different, a better water. I'll give you living water. And Jesus says to the woman, everyone who drinks this water, the, you know, the water out of the ground will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm going to be a different sort of water for you. A water that will quench your thirst completely and eternally. Jesus is the water. What he's saying is, I will satisfy your deepest longings. And that's what he says to us today. God through what He's done in Jesus and the relationship with God that Jesus brings us into satisfies all of our deepest longings, our longings for worth, our longings for love, our longing for meaning in life, our longing for security. Jesus says, are all satisfied in me. You're looking for that in human relationships, in physical nourishment. No, I will satisfy your deepest longings. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who heals And when my relationship with God is healed, God brings health to my self-image, my relationship with myself. Like how many of you, when you look at yourself, you see someone who's just a mess up, someone who's a failure. You see someone who's defined by their sins, even the sins that they've repented of. When you look at yourself in the mirror, when you think of yourself, Someone who's crippled by regret or guilt. Maybe you see someone who's ugly. Maybe when you think of yourself, you think of someone who's not worth loving. You think of yourself as someone who's not intelligent. You think of yourself as someone who's not gifted, right? All these fig leaves that we kind of cover ourselves with to cover up our inadequacies, to hide ourselves because we have this sick image of self that comes from sin, Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. He is the wood and He is the water who satisfies our needs and changes the way that we think of ourselves. I mean, Christian, if you could just, if you could just get a glimpse of the way that God sees you, if you are someone who has been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, if you could just get a glimpse of the, what God sees when He looks at you, because God, in Jesus Christ, when He looks at you, He doesn't see your sin, that He is forgiven. He doesn't see your failures. When He looks at you, He doesn't see someone who's not pretty enough or not smart enough. He doesn't see someone who's not gifted enough. When God looks at you, He just sees a son or a daughter in whom He delights, in whom He loves. Man, if we could just like get, go through life, God give us the ability to see ourselves the way that He sees us. 
in this relationship that we have with God through Jesus. Man. Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. He didn't come for the righteous. He came to restore sinners. Jesus said, I have been sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And that spiritual health that God works in us through faith in Jesus Christ impacts our, not just our relationship with God and one another or ourselves, it, it impacts our relationship with others. You know, because when we're not feeling whole, when we're feeling inadequate, um, we, we, try, we try to fill that hole, when we're not whole, we try to fill that hole with something that we can get from someone else, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, whether it's uh, anything and anyone. We try to fill this hole that makes us whole. And we try, we try to get that from other places and other people. And when we can't be satisfied in that, and we never will be, that leads to anger, right? That's where anger comes from, the sense that you owe me. You owe me something that you're not giving me. You're not satisfying this. And because of that, I'm angry. And if we don't resolve that anger, that anger becomes bitterness because bitterness is just unresolved anger. It doesn't get dealt with. And it just kind of poisons the well of our life. And Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 4. When he says in verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He says, get rid of like all that conflict, get rid of that anger, and get rid of bitterness. Replace it with forgiveness. And how do you do that? By understanding, by receiving the forgiveness of God for you that Jesus has won for you when He died on the wood. You have been forgiven. We are made whole. We are restored through Jesus Christ. And, and when we know who we are and what we have in Jesus, he says, that gives us the ability to not demand that from somebody else. It, it frees us to forgive. It frees us to let go of anger. It frees us to let go of bitterness if we can understand the forgiveness and the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. It can heal our bitterness That's the work of God in Jesus Christ. He is Jehovah Rapha. He heals our bodies, but more importantly, He heals our souls, our spiritual sickness by paying for our sin on the cross, reconciling us to God. So, let me ask you, is, as, as you think of your life, is there... Um, are you unwell? Like, do you sense some unwellness in your life? Maybe it's a body thing, a physical thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a heart thing. You know, maybe it's an emotional sickness or a spiritual sickness. Maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's some broken relationship, some anger and bitterness. Maybe it's a broken self-image. But I want to give you an opportunity just to kind of think on that. Like, is there some lack of health in your life that God would bring to mind? In a minute, I, I want to give you an opportunity just here in prayer, each one of us, just to be able to invite God as Jehovah Rapha, the healer, to come into that place and to, um, to be our health. For He is the one, as it says in Psalm 103, who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. And we're on a journey. We're on a journey, Christians. Right? We're not at our destination yet. Um, 
No Christian is exempt from disease. No Christian is exempt from depression. You know, there are great men of faith in the Bible that battled with depression, that begged God to take their life. No Christian is exempt from depression. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, greatest preacher the last hundreds of years, battled depression his whole life. No Christian is exempt from disease. No Christian is exempt from depression. But God is Jehovah Jireh, who can bring about healing, who is at work in us. And while we are not exempt from these things in this life as we are on this journey, this one thing I do know, a day is coming when our journey is going to reach its final destination and we will know the fullness of health in body, mind, and spirit where we will be completely whole, fully and finally when we receive the inheritance of our faith. This is the... This is, what lies ahead for all who trust in Jesus Christ have been reconciled to God through faith in Him. This is how the Bible closes. Revelation chapter 21, when, Paul, when, when John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. God gave him this vision. And he said, look now, God's dwelling place is now among the people and God Himself will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The one who sits on the throne says, look, I am making everything new. A day is coming when history reaches its conclusion and all who belong to God will dwell with Him forever. And in that time, it says there will be no more tears, there will be no more death, there will no be, be no more mourning, there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain. God will once and for all have rid us of all sickness and sadness and sinfulness. And that day is coming, Christian. And so, while we're on this journey, we're not exempt as we go through wildernesses, we're not exempt from disease and depression and other ailments, but God is the God who can bring healing, and He can do that now, and if He doesn't do that now, a day is coming when He will finally make us whole, and we will live with Him in health forever and ever and ever. Amen? And then, the very final words, last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. In that place, crystal clear river, the tree of life. What is all of that? It's a picture saying, you will be healthy. We will be whole. For God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And until that day, may we trust in Him and look to Him and follow Him. Come what may. Let's pray. I want to give you an opportunity with your head bowed there just to talk to God yourself. Just take a moment and maybe begin by thanking God that He is Jehovah Rapha, just declaring that, God, I believe that You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord who heals body, mind, and spirit. I believe You have that power. Just take a minute to acknowledge that and to praise God for being the Lord who heals. And I just want to invite you, maybe God has brought to your mind some, some area of your life that's lacking health where you're not whole. Again, maybe a body thing, a relationship, mind, spirit. Just lift that up before the Lord. Say, God, would you, would you make this whole? I believe you can. 
Just ask, ask God to come into that place in your life and to lead you into health. Surrender that area of your life. Maybe it's a broken self-image. Some inadequacy or fear. close by saying, God, I trust you with this. And I want to say, church, you know, if you're here this morning and, and there is some area of your life which you're not well, we do have a prayer team available after the service. And if you want someone to pray with you for any reason, or for, uh, you, you just want to pray over any sickness, whether it's body, whether it's relationship, whether it's a spiritual sickness, maybe today's the day you need to actually repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a sick soul. Maybe your relationship with God is not right. Whatever it is, there's people there in the fireside room. We can direct you there if you don't know where that is. There's people there that would love to pray for you and come to Jehovah Rapha with your need. Father, we thank you that you have shown us this in many ways, Lord, through the scriptures, and I would say even in our own lives, in the life of this church, that you truly are Jehovah Rapha. You're not someone that stands aloof from our sufferings. You're not someone that doesn't care. But Lord, you're someone that desires to make us whole. And that's what Jesus is all about. That's why you sent your son to make us whole. So God, we, we just, we believe that our health is found in you. In our body, our mind, in our spirit, Lord, um, we, we trust in you. And we just ask, Lord, that you would work in our lives, Lord, um, just to make us well, to restore us, to restore whatever is broken. And Lord, in all of these things, ultimately, to glorify yourself. Would you glorify yourself in our sickness would you glorify yourself in our health Lord because what we need more than anything else is you as we go from this place God out into our week into the world to our home our workplaces Lord I just pray that um, you would continue to teach us more about yourself and just give us the ability to walk in step with you in Jesus' name I pray.